So to kick things off, it's announcements as per usual, I have a few. So, so first of all, I'd like to thank everyone who attended the internal meeting on, it was Tuesday, right? Uh, yes, thank you very much to everyone who came. It took about two and a half hours to get through it all. Uh, but by the end of it, I think we came up uh, with about 15 or so potential motions, which will be uh, whittled down or refined by council. And the uh, definite turn card should be going up probably in the fourth week of December. Uh, so yes, look forward to that, but again, thank you very much to everyone who attended. Uh, couldn't do it without you. Also, ah, yes, our Christmas dinner is just a few days away now. Uh, we're no longer accepting sign-ups, I'm afraid. Uh, the, the final deposit has been paid, so that's it. If your name is not already on the, the sign-up form thing, then I'm afraid you have missed your opportunity. Those of you who have uh, gotten your name in, Please, if you haven't already, uh, give me your deposit before the end of the evening. Uh, if you don't have cash on you, then yes, PayPal or bank transfer or whatnot is also arguably the better way to do it, but I'm more than happy to take cash this evening if you have it. Uh, this is an important one. Next week is our Christmas party, yeah! This is the... This is the penultimate ordinary meeting, uh, but it's really the last actual ordinary meeting because next week, it's, as I've mentioned before, it's quite unusual. Uh, and unlike our usual format, which is uh, one big hour and a half long debate, it will be three mini debates. Uh, I mentioned last week that the motions are in this order. Uh, this house would be dramatic. This house believes the litter pick is an old boys club. And this house. Uh, this house uh, would rather be naughty than nice. So yes, uh, it's expected that there shall be mince pies and singing and much mirth indeed, and even uh, a, the revival of a tradition long, long since thought dead, but that shall be brought back, and that's all I'm saying. And what I look forward to it, it shall be, let me say, rather raunchy. Uh, so yes, it's I was thinking if I could be something there, but I thought, nah, just, why bother? So yes, please do come along with that, but most importantly to note is that uh, I, we did some research, the council and I, and yeah. we determined that the Christmas market, whilst it as a whole closes at 10pm, the Lavery's tent stays open until 11. So the plan for next week is that rather than adjourning to, to woodworkers, as we normally would, we shall be taking an extra special trip down the Christmas market to the Lavery's tent, uh, which we think will be a very nice way to end the year. Uh, and if anybody is still around at 11, uh, there are plenty of local bars in the area that we can go to. Also, hopefully Bittles. Uh, Bittles is very nice if you haven't been there. Uh, the favourite drinking hole of uh, Mr. Chris Spratt, former technology officer. So yes, the, the thing about that is you need to 
wrap up. Come next week in a jumper. Um, just chill. Hello, just while I remember, I need your dinner order. You're the last person to give me a dinner order. So, yes. Because um, I got coming in with No, you've been giving me your money, but the actual food that you want. Uh, anyway, anyway, I'll talk to you later. So yes, Thank make you. sure, if you're coming next week and you're going to come to the bar, bring, bring mittens, bring jumpers, be heavily wrapped up, because it is freezing now, it'll be even worse next week, and we will bring be going pies. all the way down. <laughs> You've mince pies now, No, I said bring, oh, bring mince pies. pies. Yes. yes, do that too. Uh, otherwise, uh, yes, well, another thing that has been mentioned to me, people have been asking, what is the attire for the dinner? Just casual, don't uh, feel the need to come all dressed up. Uh, ugly Christmas jumpers are preferable. Uh, if there are enough people and if they are suitably hideous enough, there will be a prize for the worst one. Worst one. Uh, so yes, but again, don't worry about cards, it's just very casual. Uh, and again, the reception is here at five. Uh, you're not expected to be here at five, that's just uh, because apparently no one will show up for a half hour after the actual starting time. But the reception is at five until past six, and then we'll make our way down to the kitchen. Otherwise, the last note that I have Unless, Mr. Secretary, have I missed anything? No. Not today. Uh, the only other thing that I have to say is that um, you may remember that we had uh, plans, there were big murmurings of some kind of uh, society movie night, uh, which never quite panned out. Well, this, this is completely an unofficial thing, but I had a quick gander at the QFT showing me times and whatnot, and I discovered that uh, over the special season, they are, for a little bit of time, running the best. Christmas thumb of them all. I am, of course, referring to Die Hard. Uh, <laughs> so they are showing Die Hard next Friday evening, which is the obviously the day after the final day, and I'm going to go see it. So if anybody would like to join me, uh, I will. The president needs some friends, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Just so lonely. <laughs> yes, I will have the exact uh, like showing time. Figure it out by next week, and I'll answer that. But yeah, if anybody wants to come along, we can make it into like a pseudo society event. Or if you also want to leave me by myself, that's fine too. I don't like you that much anyway. So, on the topic of a, of a potential anorectic movie night, do you not think that there would be scope for us to find a debating really in movie that we can there watch? Is, there is one. The, yeah, there was one that came out recently. When we have the proper movie night, the film that we are watching is, uh, there is no debate behind this. Deadport Society, have you seen it? Because it is just, it is the perfect summation of everything that society should be. Well, yes, it is. But in any event, yes, so that's, that's all the mentions I've done. I mean, we really don't take points during it. No, no, you missed last Friday night, something happened last Friday night, two people were in yes, the Yes, that's, that is correct, Mr. Secretary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a very special announcement. Uh, for the first time in, I think, two years, right? It wasn't since the last we have had a team from this very society progress to the semi-final of Ireland's most prestigious debating competition, that being the Irish Times, and that team being Mr. Edmund Doherty and Mr. Russell Mayer. Can we please get a round of applause? Congratulations indeed. I don't believe this society uh, has won it in recent years. Uh, oh, I don't feel the pressure. Queens, the representatives from Queens have won it back in the day, but I think well, the only one representative from Queens has ever won the Irish Yeah. Um, so to get to the semi finals is certain. Indeed, so indeed. The, very proud. The last person to do it was uh, Mr. Mo Musa as an individual back in 2015, 
and before that, Mr. Adam Kidd, former president and secretary, back in 2014, I want to say. So yes, congratulations indeed, job well done. But otherwise, uh, we shall move on to the minutes from the last meeting. That was, oh, this house believes Trump will destroy the planet. That was the 10th coordinate meeting, and they are being read by our delightful secretary, Mr. Peter Dunn. The 10th Ordinary Meeting of the Literary and Scientific Society took place on the 30th of November and was attended by 47 members. Private members' business was started by Mr Edmund Doherty, who tried to defend himself on why he found himself on a bus listening to Desert Island Discs. He then asked the House whether they would agree that it was the best radio show on the planet. Too many responses were then heard. And <laughs> Rejected. Messe Chevalibus then asked the House to recognise the importance of safe spaces. In response, Mr. Hawk Morgan Hickman commented that we had already debated the matter and this was available online. Cheeky plug, please listen to the debate online, otherwise, nothing will get sucked. <laughs> um, he also advocated that the society couldn't be a place where it operated closed door debates. Mr. Russell then also commented that creating the terrific into a safe space would lead it to descend the house into a circle joke. Business that was smoothly moved on to the President's questions, which was started again by Mr. Edmund Doherty, who asked if the President would give his best wishes to Mr. Russell and some other bloke who were competing in some competition over the weekend. The President, of course, gave him his best wishes. In what only I can describe as cheating, Mr. Doherty then asked the President another question. He asked the President what his favourite radio show was. After much thought, the President, very dull answer of the news quiz, <laughs> confirmed the President's already dull interest generally. Mr. Ma <laughs> Mr. Matthew Sullivan then asked the President if he would support the notion that it was shameful that the Students' Union put on a mental health week that nobody was in fact aware of. Mental health awareness week, no? Indeed. Yeah. Um, the President, looking gleefully from across the room, of course didn't exactly jump to the Union's defence. <laughs> Mr Michael McConway then asked whether Meghan Markle will be in another series of suits. The President, obviously being a fountain of all knowledge ever, didn't for this one time um, know if Meghan Markle would be in the next series of suits, but commented that he did indeed enjoy the show and hoped she'd be a part of the next series. Our Treasurer, Mr John MacDonald, then also asked, if invited, who the President would bring to the Royal Reading. And I was incredibly upset to be informed <laughs> that it wasn't me. But Paul Shannon, our internal leader, which I suppose is a kindness of the The President then introduced the motion, which read, This House believes Trump has destroyed the planet. A vote was taken on prior opinion, which read, by full, 14 against and 18 abstentions. Opening the debate to the proposition was Miss Ema Crotty, who looked at the long-term effect of Trump's actions and centred her the focus of her argument on climate change and nuclear weapons. She argued it was what Trump represented on the global stage and his place within society that posed a real threat to the planet. Opening the argument for the opposition was maiden speaker Mr Tom McGuinness. He said unless Trump produced a death ray, it would literally be physically impossible for him to destroy the planet. But, he argued, that at least in the realm of reality, 
if not reason, that he could destroy the environment. He criticised the importance of the Paris Agreement and stated that Trump was not nearly influential enough to, draw, to destroy the planet or indeed the environment single-handedly. Continue the argument for the proposition was Miss Aisha Bellows, who surprise, surprise, used America as a case study. She argued that the practical changes that Trump had already implemented, during the dis including the dismantling of the Clean Power Act, showed that indeed Trump was capable of destroying the planet. She argued that Trump's devices policy, policy, policies socially were also responsible for societal rift, which was clearly affecting the world negatively. Second up for the opposition was Miss Kara Campbell, and in the first of this session, she managed to get through a whole seven minute speech without mentioning Europe. Well done, Mary. <laughs> she argued that the fate of the planet was clearly out of his control, and the problem will clearly outlive Trump. Climate change is happening whether Trump or indeed we like it or not. We're six, with the 16 to 17 hottest years on record all taking place after the year 2000. Third up for the proposition was our very own social officer, Mr. Conor Neal, who pleaded for the audience to be liberal with the term destroy. He maintained that he couldn't deny that Trump was at least part of the problem. He quoted Chomsky, arguing that the Republican Party is the most dangerous party in the world, and then explained that each of us are a part of the problem as well as Trump. In our own way, we should seek to combat climate change. This includes having sex to keep warm instead of on a heating on. Thought I needed to mention that. <laughs> Rounding the argument off for the proposition was maiden speaker in this just now. He commenced his speech by pronouncing that Trump was indeed a bonk. But that in reality, claiming that he had the ability to destroy the planet was a mere case American centrism. He went on to state that at 70 years of age, Trump is at prime dying time. So the possibility of destroying the world in that time was incredibly low. He concluded by saying it was damaging for the rest of America, but had very little influence on the rest of the world. Questions were then heard from Mr. Tom McGinnis, Mr. Finbar Rogers, Mr. Hugh Dobbin, Mr. Patrick McKenna, and Mr. Jack Patton. Ocean speakerability was then taken, which read a whole three weeks to the proposition, 10 for the opposition, and 14 abstentions. May I take minutes of it? That is definitely recording it. Um, we miss you, Bradley. Uh, oh dear. Somebody's turning my down. Oh, very good. Uh, so yes, we shall move on. Um, so the first first question. Uh, we shall move on then to private members' business, I do believe. Yes, so our first piece of private members' business was uh, sent in to me uh, earlier, and that uh, is a rather serious piece. So if I could navigate to it, that would be delightful. <laughs> How long is this piece of private members business, <laughs> Mr. President? It was sent in by our very own outreach officer, so it can be as long as she'd like it to be. <laughs> sure, it certainly could be here. Uh, so, yes. So, how best to word this? So, yes, uh, Miss Carbonell uh, is seeking this evening for the House to pass a motion of condolences. Uh, a an ex-teacher and a family friend of, yes, of hers, um, Mr. who oh, are very sorry, it's all rather spread out, uh, Mr. Gavin McNally, um, sadly passed away uh, two weeks ago. Um, and yes, for a variety of reasons, she uh, thought it would be best to not bring it up uh, so close to the, the time. So uh, 
she, uh, he was a, a teacher of hers for four years and a, a family friend in his uh, mid-thirties. Uh, he passed away, sadly off the chemo, and yes, so Miss Carbonell uh, is a council member and is indeed most valuable to the society. So I, I would urge the House uh, to, to pass this motion of condolences. So can I please get a seconder for the motion? Seconded. Would the motion of uh, this House would extend its condolences to the friends and family of Mr. Gavin McNally? Second. Thank you very much, Mr. Sullivan. All those. Oh, would, would you like to say anything on the motion? You don't have to again. Sorry for the okay, was just, no, um, I was just, I was very close to for and the other teacher, and he was a family friend. Um, and it all happened very quick. He was only diagnosed in February. Um, and then he was fine. Big gym comeback. Um, actually, was stayed at the gym and everything for his chemo and his bone marrow transplant, and then got a chest infection and just um, passed away. But given that he sort of pushed my university education, it was quite important to me. Um, so I just thought it would be nice that, given that I know the society, that it would be nice to bring him up on it. Indeed. Thank you very much, Ms. Sonia. So, uh, without further ado, it has been seconded. I shall move it to a vote. Can all those in favour of the motion please raise their hand and say aye? Aye. aye. Uh, I suspect to be unanimous. So, uh, all those against, please raise their hand and say nay. All those abstaining, raise your hand and say nay. The motion is passed unanimously. The House does hereby extend its condolences to the friends and family of Mr. McNally. Uh, our other piece of uh, private member's business was sent in uh, by Mr. Murr, and it is uh, about the size of the Gutenberg Bible. So uh, I think he's condensed it down a wee bit for me. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty unfortunate. Messenger is crashing on me. Which uh, doesn't. It's not that long. Is it not? No, I condensed it down. It shouldn't be that long. I, I feel as though um, I need to spend several years trying to stop it off it. Right, so. Mr. Meyer informs me that uh, I haven't read this, hopefully it works uh, whenever it's written right from my point of view. So is your phone on the table? Why not I suggest reading it yourself then, if it is... Uh... Yeah, you are. I mean, yes, I would like to point out, actually, this is a very uh, pertinent issue that was raised by the council. Uh, I, I am, believe it or not, uh, council myself, I'm a fairly polite fellow when it comes to doing this, and so if people send in pieces of members' business, I do tend to take them first. There's nothing that says I have to do that, and I'm not going to be doing right, it next right, semester right, because people right, have been using okay. it to jump the queue when they're in attendance at the meeting. <laughs> but on this occasion, I will read it out. So, Mr. Rush says that he wishes to put before the House a uh, piece of private members' business, uh, a motion supporting uh, uh, that in Ards, the. Ards and North Borough Council? Yes, uh, calling for Christian prayers at the start of the council meeting to be replaced by among the second reflection. Uh, the motion. That motion was brought by uh, Councillor John Barry, a professor at this very university. Uh, the motion would have made council meetings inclusive and represented a crucial uh, symbolic gesture to all people of arts in North Down against religious privilege and for equality before law and secularism. Unfortunately, it was voted down to try and contain the party polemic. Mr. I'll be skipping a lot of it. It was voted down by the DUP, both the committee and the full council, and was not passed. He therefore urges the House to uh, support both John Barry's efforts and uh, to call the prayers uh, in the other Northern Ireland councils, which continue uh, the practice to be replaced with an inclusive second one of reflection. Right, so does anybody have any thoughts on that? Um, no. Mr. Dolan. As anyone here would know, <laughs> I am devout to the teachings of our Lord. <laughs> 
reject his words and we forget the principles on which our country is founded is entirely despicable. I would reject entirely the idea that we forget the message of our Lord in public proceedings and the idea that we sit down and pray for silence, a kind of which will reject and be an affront to these principles be wholly and utterly rejected by this house. Thank you. The only response now that I can think of is spirit me. Motion whilst I attempted to put the gavel back together. Uh, no, not at all. Okay, so then just to remind you that the, uh, the motion is that this house supports the the motion. That, uh, are we supporting the actual motion that was put forward? Uh, or just yes. supporting the motion and supporting uh, uh, other councils that continue to practice and replacing Christian prayers at the start of council meetings with a moment of silent reflection. Okay, so to summarize then, this, the motion is this house supports. The uh, replacement of uh, is it Christian prayer? Christian prayers with uh, moments of silent reflection. A council meetings in uh, government. Let's say. Uh, can uh, all those in? Uh, can I get a second or first actually? Second. Second. Can all those in favour of the motion please raise their hand and say aye. 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 Give them up. Give them up. Give them up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Mr. Secretary. Ten, Mr. Secretary. Ten. I got ten. Sorry, I missed one person. Now, all those against the motion, please raise your hands. Say uh, nay. Nay. Thirty. Uh, three. Thirty. Yes. Are you? Is that, is that four? Is And all those who are still staying, please raise your hands. Say meh. Meh. Oh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Secretary. Therefore, the house abstains. Terribly sorry, Mr. Mayor. I'm terribly sorry indeed. Uh, are there any other items of private members' business? I would like to point out that the, the news has been quite good this week, so there are many things that we could be discussing. Miss mm -hmm. Dixon? Hello. Um, this is a question about extrajudicial killing. So, in a week when our Defence Secretary said we will hunt down and kill all ISIS fighters instead of bringing them to trial in the UK, my question is. Is Britain still a liberal democracy, or should we stop being hypocrites now? Thank you, Mr. Uh, would anybody like to speak on that particular motion, Mr. Doherty? Um, I'd like to say the British government, uh, Britain has never had a liberal democracy. <laughs> uh, simply, uh, the British cabinet can get away with whatever it wants to do in reality, especially on issues of foreign policy. All you have to, I can only say two words to all of this, Iraq war. Thank you very much, Mr. Doherty. Would anybody else like to comment on the matter before the House? Anyone? Yes, good sir. Um, I would just say, sort of, on the liberal democracy point, um, liberal democracy itself seems largely subjective. Um, when we look at liberal democracy and the idea of democratisation, isn't that fundamentally uh, the idea of imposing democracy in countries that don't actually have a democracy anyway? Hmm. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, anyone else? Going once? Going twice? Gone! Uh, Mr. Dixon, was there a motion there? Do you want to pass or do you just oh, want no, a, a discussion? Okay, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, are there any other private members' business? Mr. Swill? Um, 
Well, basically, I don't. Uh, does anyone here uh, know the story of Brock Turner? Yes. 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 Right. This this week it was revealed that um, him and well his lawyer is trying to get an appeal form. And the reason for this, I think, is just ludicrous. <laughs> well, I suggest that you inform the members of the house who don't know who Brock yeah. Turner is. Oh yeah. Pretty, right. Pretty much. It was all over the place. It, he pretty much it's uh, he was proven uh, guilt guilty in court and uh, only sentenced to six months uh, when there was a maximum of, of fourteen for uh, raping uh, an unconscious woman, uh, and that's basically the story behind it. And and it was all over the place. And the reason that his lawyer wants to get a, uh, a repeal form is the fact that apparently he did not do this behind a dumpster so basically this he literally argued that this has connotations like with like sleaziness uh, he wanted to hide, to hide what he was doing when in fact it happened somewhere else and this affected the outcome of the trial now what are your opinions on this <laughs> Uh, it's a terrible situation indeed. Are there any thoughts on that or anybody who'd like to say anything? Yes, Mr. Clark? I feel like it's been a fight nearly six months since that happened. Yeah, like, he, what's the point? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, he, he got out at three months for good behaviour as well. Alright, oh, indeed. Anybody else have any thoughts on that or off? Um, that's to rephrase it a wee bit. Um, overly lenient sentences for crimes, perhaps? I think rapists should be held fully to account and we shouldn't be uh, like making incredible stretches to make excuses for them. Thank you very much, Mr. Mark. Ms. Carberry, I think we should start by calling him the rapist. Proctor is a rapist. He was sentenced for rape. Proctor raped someone. Proctor is a rapist. Just uh, another bit of information, which uh, I'm wondering about. You'll go, oh, yes, you forgot about. Uh, his father either made a statement or wrote a letter in his defence that said that basically uh, his, his life has been ruined, he's been devastated, he's a, a shell of his former self, he was an athlete or something as well, uh, and his, his entire life and his promising future has been ruined because of 12 minutes of action. Yeah, he pretty much said it, his life shouldn't be ruined because of... Uh, of 12 minutes of action or something, of action. Of, or something along those lines, which is, in my opinion, despicable. Yes. Uh, I would like to point out, however remote the case is, I think the judicial process must always be respected. Yeah. Because it's only an object of court law which can make this decision. Thank you, Mr. Dixon. Anyone else? Uh, yes. Slightly worse. Uh, the basis of the appeal, as I understand it, was that you said it was somewhere else. It wasn't somewhere else, it was, they used dumpster, it was actually a three-sided trash yeah, container. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> it, exactly. You're on for it, that's Any final, uh, Mr. Doherty? I think the person we're forgetting in all of this is the victim, and I think that's the worst thing about it, is that they, I'd imagine in the appeal court, the victim and the victim's family, they have to go back to court and they'll have to spend more money on a trial that should have been finished earlier. And, I mean, in my opinion, I think maybe he should have been given a few years, certainly a very long, much longer sentence than he was. And I think, I think that the saddest person in the whole of this issue is the victim. And I think we need to remember that in any case of rape. Thank you. Uh, 
introduce, I think I've started. Uh, unless there's anyone else, I'll, yes, I'll conclude that piece. Are there any uh, final bits? I mean, I'd like to point out that this is the week in which uh, Trump recognized uh, Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Uh, Arlene Foster scuppered some sort of uh, deal on the, on the Brexit process. And Al Franken has resigned due to allegations of sexual misconduct in the Senate. Did anybody? Uh, I'll go for Mr. Nairn. Uh, you mentioned Arlene Foster and hey. reminded me of um, To bring it uh, on Miss Arlene Foster, uh, the lovely woman that she is, of course. Uh, I, would like to, I would like to inquire as to the House's opinion of Miss Foster's recent opinion in a Christmas music video in which uh, she showed off her fine vocal cords uh, to the people of Northern Ireland and the world. Thank you very much, Mr. Do anybody have any comments on that? Is there a government shot there? So, yes. so it's... Well, this was also put up in a post in Literate Forum in case anyone saw it, where we said that basically it's kind of okay because it was for charity, but also that Arlene Foster singing was abysmal. <laughs> and also that maybe trying to put up some kind of happy public persona derives from the unconscionable bigot she actually is. <laughs> and so it's, to the world was mentioned there, and something that I find entirely sad about the situation is that it's the intransigence of the DUP and Arlene Foster and their role in this that means that this is actually probably the last time in history that the UK, Europe, or the wider world is actually going to care about Northern Ireland. And the only reason for that is because the largest party here is absolutely despicable. And once they are no longer of relevance to the international community, Northern Ireland will once again be forgotten and left to fester in its own inefficiency. Thank you, Mr. I'd like to point out that the, the, uh, the fact that they are going to be forgotten by the world and be festering in. Wow, looking sharp, Mr. Cargill. <laughs> and will be festering in its own inefficiency. Will only be the case in both instances until the literate comes to power and changes it all. Here, here. <laughs> Easiest round of applause in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Mr. McDonald, we're, we're, Mr. McDonald, we're talking about the uh, the uh, <laughs> <laughs> in which Miss Foster appeared. Would you like to make the observation that you made after watching that video? Remember what happened at the very end? Oh shit. <laughs> I, I presume you said, oh shoot there, yes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, I, if I remind you that uh, there was a kiss at the end of the video? Is that oh, just oh, yes, yes. yes. Um, I, I noticed very early that, um, is Arlene supporter not supporting gay marriage? Huh? Is that going to be a red line, red line issue in the negotiation for the So the shouldn't be, sorry. The, at the end of that video, if you recall, there was in fact a man kissing another man on the cheek in a video which Arlene Foster was in. Ah, oh. scandalous, clearly this can only mean that the DP have reversed their policy. Fully in support of gay marriage. Here, here, here. And all that. So, yes, anyway. Uh, who else had their hand up earlier? Anyone? Anyone at all? No? Are we all? Mr. Doherty again? In relation to that point, I think they should show that by donating all of the money they earn from this single, all 50 pence of it, <laughs> to uh, Stonewall. Ah, dear. <laughs> right, unless there are any other um, very pertinent points of pertinent interest, no. Excellent, we shall move on to President's questions. Are there any President's questions for this evening? Wow, Mr. Sullivan, you look like you've got a bone to pick with me, so fire away. I have actually two questions for you. Um, you can't do that. The <laughs> <laughs> first question is, of course, if you could be any famous philosopher, which famous philosopher would you be? Yeah. Uh, that's, not, that's clearly, yes. clearly Nietzsche, because of his amazing moustache. Well, yeah. Secondly, I'm not sure if anybody else saw this, but I certainly did. 
I think you thought no one noticed. <laughs> what the hell have you done to mule me or have your other gods there once you're going to have simple things? What the hell have you done, sir? Absolutely nothing, as you can see. It's someone mule near hammer the thunder god. You can try to fix what you've done, but you can never run from the eyes of God. <laughs> oh, God, Ken! <laughs> Me during the sicker process of resetting the man of Mjolnir, hammer the thunder god Thor, and Ben at the sea serpent, Jormungandr. I very dare you, good sir. Mr. Murphy is spinning in his grave, which is not a thing that he's in just yet. But soon I'm uh, Yes, I, I, I briefly unscrewed the, the top bit from the bottom, but my life's fine again. Shiverous eye. Indeed, it's clearly the most famous thing I've done this, thus far. Are there any other bit, Mr. Murphy? Right, hang on. This needs a minute to prepare, right? Alright, Mr. President, what did you have for... Yeah. What? <laughs> what did you have for... This morning? <laughs> what on earth was that? No, don't answer. Uh, I had... Seems I always had chili, scrappy yeah. juice, etc. Damn it! Am I being conned into making you in bingo? Uh, Mr. Clark. Mr. President. Yes, Mr. Clark. Mr. Ryan Nile is a fucking D.U.P. Nazi! <laughs> and also, I like the price, but I hate your prices. Okay, a couple of things there. First of all, in, in order, you pronounced his name wrong. Yeah. Uh, second of all, you, you swore, so that's a fine. Third of all, if that was a blatant and bullish attempt to score like three scores in the bingo, then that's another fine. <laughs> Also, I won the bingo. It was a room. I won the bingo first. Many, many weeks ago. Twice. The new bingo. I clearly, clearly, the only solution is to never have bingo again. No more fun for anyone. And I will not be calling on you for any more points this evening, Mr. Clark. That's the only are any actual serious final bits of What did you call like Nile? Mr. Nile, would you like your song? Mr. Nile, would you like your song? No, man, bro, you're gonna have yourself a row. I'll see you behind the video. Unless anybody else would like to beat Mr. Doherty to it, final PQ, going once, going twice. Mr. Doherty, the final person's question this evening is yours. Uh, this is actually about food as well. What are you having in the Christmas dinner? Uh, I have the menu up. Do you? I'm having uh, 1B, 2B, 3C. So that is, uh, for starters, I'm having the crispy, aromatic, comfy duck leg with Asian greens and made with lamb sauce for the main. This is my best. Um, Master Chef was uh, For the main, I'm having soft, free-range turkey crown, chestnut and sage stuffing, uh, honey and tan chipolatas, and for dessert, it's raspberry and chocolate mousse. Uh, so there you go. Uh, I believe that's probably the most popular combination from seeing the uh, orders. How come my phone's got loads of pornography on it now? <laughs> what the fuck I could have possibly done in those ten seconds? In any event, we shall now move on uh, to the debate for this evening. Uh, it should only really be about half an hour long, uh, so that, that's pleasant. Um, and then we should actually have time for questions. So please do uh, try and think of some questions this evening, because we will have plenty of time for them. Uh, I believe we'll also be retiring to woodworkers, so look forward to that. Uh, and also, just while I remember, 
don't forget, you will need your membership cards to vote. And if you don't have a member number on it yet, come speak to me at the end, and I'll get you that. So, vote on prior opinion. So the motion for this evening is this House, please. Free will does not exist. This is uh, also, I should point out, a special joint event with the QV Philosophy Society. Can I get a wave from uh, Miss Silvery? Hello, President of the QV Philosophy Society over there. Mispronounce uh, my name, does that count, sir? What? Oh, Mispronounce my name, does that count? Did I? Oh, I guess. I guess. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, must, I must admit, I did not review this bingo card. It's not there, Mr. Mary, as though this is just an excuse for everybody to call it my multiple failing. <laughs> In any event, could all those who'd like to vote in favour of the motion that this house believes free will does not exist, please raise your hand and say aye! Aye. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, Mr. Secretary. Aye. All those who'd like to vote against the motion, please raise your hand and say nay! Nay. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, aye. 7, Mr. Secretary. Aye. Uh, 6, I think. Excellent. And all those who would like to abstain on the motion, please raise your hand and say, Meh! Meh! At 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. 8, Mr. Secretary? Yeah. Wonderful. So I believe the, the prop have that. Yeah. The prop won that vote for our opinion. And so now, to open uh, the case for this evening, uh, on behalf of the proposition, it's Mr. Matthew Sullivan. make a decision, the result of which is not solely dependent on external factors. For example, a computer clearly doesn't have free will. For any operation the computer can perform, it will always give you the exact same result for the exact same input. 2 plus 2 will always equal 4, 4 minus 1 will always equal 4. <laughs> Is the idea then that two identical systems can come to two different results given the exact same circumstances? The thing is that that's really intuitive to humans. We like this idea that chance exists. You know, if we flip a coin, we have this intuitive idea that there's an approximately 50% chance it's going to land on heads. We like the idea that in any given situation we could have chosen differently. Luckily, we have these choices. We're here today to explain that this is a misconception. And just because an idea seems intuitive and pleasant does not make it true. Now, if you think about our coin example for a short time, it becomes clear pretty quickly that coin flip isn't actually random. You know, the coin's angular velocity is purely a function of the force applied to the person flicking it, the air resistance and gravity, and so on, so on, so on. In any two cases where all of these factors are the same, the coin will reach the same height at the same time, spin the same number of times, and land on the same face in the same position. Similarly, once we look at all other physical processes, it becomes clear that all physical events are solely caused by other physical events. Each event that occurs in the physical world is part of an unbroken chain of events stretching back to the instant of the beginning of time. Every event has a cause. I invite anybody who wishes to dispute this fact to raise a point of information at this time.
Now that we've established that, let's move on to explain how this applies to you and me and everyone else. Now, a lot of people might say, humans are different, you know, just because all physical events have causes doesn't mean that beings with minds can, can create their own chains of events, because you know, the mind isn't a physical thing, it's magical and wonderful. But so that's just not true, the brain isn't magic. Admittedly, it's really, really complex, and we're not going to understand it for many years to come. But that isn't to say that it's not a purely physical thing, just because we don't perfectly understand how all of these processes work. Like, if you cut part of the brain, you change its structure, and you cause permanent changes in the mind within. Even applying pressure to parts of the brain can cause changes to the way that certain neurons fire, which changes the way that that mind works. You know, we can get a brain tumor, which will then affect the way all of your decisions are made. There's a number of cases of this. Finally then, the last point we actually need before we can complete this argument is that external events can influence the state of somebody's mind by influencing their brain. Just as a computer detects two signals representing numbers, then passes it through a series of transistors and returns a signal representing the sum of those numbers, a flash of light causes signals to pass from the optic nerve into your brain, which is then passed about through various neurons, and then that eventually gets returned as the impulse to twitch your eyelid or something. So, that means that our argument can be summed up very neatly and concisely. We've established already that all events are caused by some number of prior physical events. Second, we've established that the brain is a physical object, the structure of which is determined by physical factors. You know, the development of a fetus in the womb isn't influenced by any magic. You know, its brain will always develop the same given the same circumstances. So the brain, being a physical object, is subject to these same rules. The brain structure is an event which is caused by other events. Then, decisions taken by a being with a mind are purely the result of the state of that being's mind. Now, since we, I think, can all agree, there's no ethereal magical force which creates decisions from the ether and plants them in the minds of men. If we can agree that that isn't the case, then we must agree that decisions taken by being of the mind are purely the result of the state of that being's mind. Which brings us to number four. The state of a being's mind is purely a function of the physical structure of that being's brain and some number of external events influencing it, such as, say, a flash of light or some numbers. Which, if we bring all of those four points together, leads us to the conclusion that all decisions are solely the result of external factors, which, by our definition, means that, therefore, free will does not and cannot exist. Thank you. Speech to open the kiss of the opposition, it's Miss Kara Swell. Boom. <laughs> it's my main speech, give me a break. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, hello everybody. First, I'm going to 
uh, address a point that uh, Matthew made that basically all decisions are formed from external events, which is pretty much the view that uh, behaviorism takes. But in the real life, we can't be particularly sure of this. It's unfalsifiable as a concept in real life. Because if we think about it, I can say, right, I can say, right, I, I chose Coke instead of Fanta today because when I was an infant, I opened it and it splashed about the place and now I don't like Coke. But I can't remember this. So it could be a free choice or it couldn't. So you can't necessarily say this, it, this, is, defi this is definitely not free will because you cannot prove that. And now I'm going to move on to the points I'm going to make. Now, People have been saying that free will doesn't exist because various studies have proved it. Uh, one main study is a study where they got a person to um, basically decide whether to, whether to click a left or a right button and to note the time when they have actually made a choice. Now, they have said that this proves that free will doesn't exist because the, because the electrical firing in the brain went before the actual decision or when they became consciously aware of this. But there are many problems with this theory. For example, the first thing wrong with it is that the difference between the subconscious and, and the actual conscious. A decision could have been made in the uncon unconscious with this free will, then moves to the conscious. On that point. Go for it. Are you saying the subconscious mind is not the result of physical processes in the brain, and it is some ethereal thing which gets decisions from the ether? I'm basically I'm not arguing free will as this. <laughs> no, yeah, no, you're face right. No, I, I, I'm, I'm basically saying that the that these these we are limited, but there is a choice. That's basically what I'm saying here. And there's, al there's also a, s a second concept in this, where the time difference can be actually explained from the time it naturally takes from your neurons in your brain to go internally, I've made a decision, to outward motion, which, ex which explains this minute difference. No, I'm... Uh, may I ask opening opposition to clarify your position on this? Are you saying that there is no such thing um, necessarily as free will, you just don't know what it is? Because what we're basically putting forward is a hard determination argument. I'm, I'm, I'm basically putting forward this, uh, the idea of free will, that we are limit. I, I'm actually going to address this for my speech when I talk about another concept to explain free will. And it's Basically, the next thing I'm going to talk about is this idea of uh, freedom quotients, which basically is an evolutionary concept. Now, basically what this means is that all humans have a degree of free will, and this, and this is measured. Some, some, some humans don't have a lot of free will because their options are limited, but some do. Oh, and no. the, 
May I ask you to define what you mean by free will and how you've measured it? I obviously say that, that free will is... See, with determinism, it's basically a concept that all, cho- all choices come from so- somewhere in the past, so this means that we can accurately predict the future of some decisions. There's always a cause. I'm basically saying that it's. Be- I'm basically saying that with free will, you are limited by certain things, and you're and as Ma- as Matthew said, you know, I'm not arguing as some material force that can take that can do magical things. I'm merely saying that we as human beings have a choice that it's not just predetermined in advance on that point no not the back no <laughs> and now i'm actually going to talk about the implications of of free will and believing it actually does exist because here's the thing there's actually a study done on beings with internal and external locus of control Basically what this means is people with high extra locus of control basically say, um, uh, basically take the determinist standpoint, you know, uh, I, I didn't do well in my test because the questions, the questions were bad and that's out of my control. Then there are the people who are the internals who basically go, I flunked that test because I didn't study hard enough. And they actually find that internals who believe that they actually have a choice in how their, how their lives are going to be, Actually, have actually are far less likely to get um, to become uh, depressed, etc. So I would propose the house to uh, vote on this notion that free will does exist. It's uh, Mr. Mm-hmm. External Convener Emeritus, Mr. Ryan Neal. Pronounced Nile. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, Mr. President, um, honourable members of the House. Um, I've come straight from work, so alas, I have no speech written. So if I ramble, uh, do uh, throw something at me and let me know. Um, well, I found myself in a curious position. Um, because it seems I'm not only going to have to reaffirm what, how the proposition has proposed the motion, but also how the opposition has proposed the motion, because there's been no real definition of what free will means. Um, obviously, the proposition's notion is that uh, this is a universe of hard determinism, which is basically everything is caused by our events, both past and present, um, and is all the factors that is not necessarily uh, the part of free will that is some sort of um, mental um, apparition that transcends the physical, rather it is purely bound by the physical. Um, it seems to me that what you're putting forward vaguely is libertarian free will, which is the idea that there are two types of uh, causation. Right? We have event causation, which is what we've discussed, the idea of flipping the coin in the exact same circumstance, in the exact same way, reach the exact same height, and always will reach the same result by those factors. Um, libertarian free will, which seems to be what you're, if I'm wrong, please correct me, but it seems to be what you're proposing, um, is differing in agent causation, which 
postulates that because we have intelligence in mind, roughly speaking, um, we are able to transcend those um, somehow, turning the soul or the consciousness or whatever else, uh, we're somehow able to transcend those natural factors. Um, I'll also add that it's impossible to have liber uh, libertarian free will and also hard determinism. These cannot be married. So if you're someone who believes that, yes, everything's determined, but also God gives you free will or something, uh, this is uh, just preempting what you're going to say. This is uh, a logical fallacy. Uh, it's a logical fallacy because it violates the uh, principle of alternative possibility. Libertarian um, free will, in essence, is about, okay, uh, if there is a circumstance, roughly speaking, um, where other possibilities can be chosen or those that could be possible. Therefore, uh, free will must exist in that circumstance. Now, we're going to subvert this, and, and of course, uh, opening prop has made this the case already, is that everything psychological is biological. This is an inherent core tenet of psychology. This is why, by studying neurolog neurological research, we're able to derive meaning in terms of psychology. Right? So, for instance, a brain uh, damage, for instance, has caused a change in a personality. It's showing the link. Everything in terms of your response to what you like or enjoy is really some dopamine. And of course, that uh, response is genetic, uh, could be uh, influenced by other factors that could be, for instance, social uh, or prior experience. But all these things are culminated together to affect your supposed decision. Um, now, of course, uh, free will is not necessarily attached to choice. Um, for instance, you may have limited choices, but have the free will to choose between those choices. At any rate, everything psychological, biological. Um, now, of course, people would say criticize hard determinism by saying that it's not necessarily explaining consciousness, rather explaining away consciousness. That somehow does not do it justice. Um, I have to say that it's quite magical thinking uh, to say that uh, somehow that this is not. Um, bound by natural laws, that somehow something created by nature can sort of transcend itself. Um, we would fundamentally disagree with that in this in the house. Um, any questions, by the way? Just like so I can pat out this time. <laughs> any questions? Yourself? Um, yeah. So the only thing I'd say is obviously when it comes to um, sort of determining free will by just saying that it's the prospects of no other sort of uh, possibilities. Um, obviously, to certain philosophers like Hume, uh, among others, you would sort of say that perhaps it's um, it's not it's not not that it's picking uh, possibilities or other possibilities. It's the concept that uh, sort of a liberty of spontaneity almost. It's that you can choose to do things without uh, another agent actually forcing you to do them, and therefore, okay. uh, yeah, take it away. Okay, so, um, to address that, um, this is the fact that you say close to the end of your speech, that not all decisions need to be from external factors. Um, I fundamentally disagree with that. You create an internal um, decision based on what you have perceived. So, your understanding of the world and anything that could be construed as a choice is through your perception and the interpretation of said perception. Your interpretation can be dictated by prior experience, your genetic predispositions, and other such factors. So, if we're going to say that, um, well, it's not an external thing, I disagree because every instance where you can understand something has been experienced or maybe construed from prior experience. It has happened, it is a cause, it is a result of things that prior happened or happening in the moment. You're experiencing it because you perceive it and are interpreting that perception. 
to good and understand it. If that makes any sense at all. <laughs> any other questions? <laughs> no. Well, uh, this is dry. Well, look, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. this in Absolutely, Gerald. Okay. Oh, I just want to ask, I'm not sure if we've delved into this, um, this notion of freedom as free will as non-interference quite enough, because there is this kind of concept that is possible of freedom, which just simply means that you could have chosen differently if you were different, independent of how you came to be who you are. So it doesn't mean that you are self-created, but rather that um, there's nothing limiting, limiting you, given that you are um, if, if that makes sense, you could choose to do differently if you were different. It doesn't mean that you're self-created, though. So it doesn't it's not to say that you're self-created, that's not the point I'm making. What I'm saying is that you're a combination of many factors, both internal and external, but of course, many external. Um, how can I put this in a different way? It's like saying that uh, a ripple has agency. Now, of course, I'm making this incredibly simplistic, and it is reductionism in saying this could be put down to one thing. It is reductionism. Um, however, there's nothing, at least scientifically speaking, that says that one cannot be reduced uh, to a single factor or a single uh, point at any point in time. Um, look, I, I'll end this in a, in a positive note because this gets very nihilistic very quickly. Uh, so just, just put the spirits a little bit into something that's sausage. Um, just because, say, a storybook, for instance, right, has predetermined, every page has predetermined. Uh, plot twist or maybe an interaction between characters and maybe a predetermined end. That doesn't mean we shouldn't keep changing the pages and experience it for what each page has to show. Right? Um, just because everything's been determined does not mean that we know what's coming next and we should live life with that sort of positivity and encourage ourselves to be open to these new experiences, determined they or not. Inevitable or not. We say they are, obviously. But, um, don't fall into the trap of nihilism with heart determination. Um, don't be that guy who says, no, I'm just an imagination of myself and everything's meaningless. What should I do? For a good reason. Um, yes, it does trap up with saying this. You know, it doesn't mean that every single plot twist or is less enchanting because it's It doesn't mean the ending itself is less of a payoff because it's a So I would say, take heart. But everything is determined, nonetheless. <laughs> Thank you very much. I feel like towards the end there, Mr. Neil, you're using the fact that there is no free will as an excuse for not being responsible for going so horrifically over time. <laughs> from one external commuter to, to another, it's Mr. Hugh Dolan. Two plus two is four. <laughs> Minus one, that's three. <laughs> this sounds like a very simple explanation when we take it at face value. When we see this as just a simple sum of very low numbers, it's very clear to see the cause and effect. And we think therein how it becomes applicable to free will. That is the trick the proposition have employed to narrow the scope in a way that makes free will seem impossible. It needs to be interpreted a different way. Instead, 2 plus 2 is 4, minus 1 that's 3, is lyrics to a rap. <laughs> a rap that was written by Big Shaq. A rap he chose to write based on his interpretation of comedy. A rap that became popular because of attention on social media, based on what other people interpret as comedy. Popular on Facebook and YouTube, 
platforms that were developed by people that think no, of what? Yes. I did write it, it was a freestyle. <laughs> <laughs> Written on the spot. <laughs> the important part is, is that there are innumerable factors to what led to Matthew Sullivan to A, to decide to come to the Literific Chamber tonight, and to have decided to come here any night previous, or to interpret that based on what the motion is, what he thinks free will is, what he thinks the House will respond to, what he thinks will further his argument, what he thinks will let him win the debate, what he thinks will crush our own arguments, makes it worth saying. It is not a simple sum. It is not a game of numbers. On that point. It is the culmination of innumerable factors, of innumerable causes and effects, that shows the innumerable elements of free will that led to him saying that today. On that note. No. <laughs> A lot has been made today, and the crux of this debate has been about what cause and effect means, and whether or not that's important for human interaction or in the universe as a whole. So tonight what I want to do is widen the picture, more specifically, this picture. Which no one can see. <laughs> no one can see it because there's a white circle in this. I realise that the brightness is too low, but the point is, it basically looks black with a white circle encompassing the earth which here is nothing more than a dot. And this in itself plays into what free will is. It's been said that from the origin of the universe, everything has a cause and effect that proves free will does not exist. But when we widen the picture, we see that yes, maybe if you take every consequence and every action and every event that has happened since the origin of the universe is some sort of grand pseudo-butterfly effect, <laughs> that proves that free will doesn't exist, On that point. then well done. You've successfully proved that things cause other things. Yes. Yeah, no, that is literally our argument. <laughs> yes. Sean, <laughs> butterfly, right. the butterfly was the big bang. That's your problem. <laughs> when we're dealing with this many things, it's ludicrous to say that free will simply does not exist. You presuppose in the notion that people and the universe is as simple as a mathematical equation, which it simply isn't. Our ex yes. Uh, yes, as simple as a mathematical equation unless it's complex. Uh, just because it has an inherent logic and cause and effect does not mean it's purely simplistic. It is reductionistic in concept, however, that does not mean that the inherent uh, factors that led to a decision were simplistic itself or overly simplistic. What you've said is that multiple factors have influenced Big Shack creating the lyric. That certainly shows how different, different factors in terms where it would be cultural, where we would agree on, such that you want to point out the absurdity of it and therefore make parody, um, shows that how different factors have come together to influence his choice. So therefore, his choice is made as a result of his factors. Therefore, it is determined. No. <laughs> Free will, as it was tried to be, as Kira addressed in her first speech, is that free will essentially is, is choice. And when we're dealing with a word where so many things have led to what happens, the cosmic insignificance and the randomness which leads us to be here and to even be discussing this, it's not logical to say that that's simply, that simply none of that is done by free will. We have to accept that yes, there is no ethereal magic to what free will is. Everything that happens, happens because of our brain. On that point. No. With the world we live in, 
our brains still make choices. What brings us here? Would I ask anyone here that they really think they themselves had no hand in coming here tonight? All my That's not fight. the truth. No. You're going to keep on hammering this one fact home that because there's cause and effect as a simple principle of how the universe operates, that people aren't making choices. People are making choices. People are making choices every day and it's those choices that make them who they are. It's what makes society what it is and it's what makes the universe what it is. On that point. No. <laughs> and the instant, yes, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> sides of the house are operating on slightly different definitions of Yeah. And it would be interesting to hear your clarification for your side's definition. Clarification is that free will means choice. It's that human, human beings specifically, because that's the scope we're operating under for this debate, is that we're capable of making choices. Choices that are our own choices. Everything has an influence, because that's what we live in. Unless we were to exist in a vacuumous void outside the breaks of the universe, there's no way to avoid other things causing what we do, but it's still our own choices. It's our own minds which lead us to what we say. It's our own minds which lead us to study our courses, to go to our universities, to wake up, to sleep through our alarms, to do whatever. It's that choice which forms the basis of who we are, what we do, and why we need to oppose this motion today. Choice forms free will. It is choice which forms our society, and it is choice which forms us as people. It is the choice to harm. It is the choice to heal. It is the choice to hide. It is the choice to explore. It is the choice to run. It is the choice to wait. It is the choice to love. It is the choice to hate. And what I've shown today is that those choices are our own choices, not the choices of some grand pseudo-butterfly effect that leads to us being born just making every decision we do. It is our own. And it is for that reason that I can conclude that free will does exist and the motion needs to be rejected today. Thank you. Thank you very much, and thank you to all our speakers. I must say that this evening we heard, in my opinion, one of the greatest speeches for the existence of determinism. Also, we heard the proposition speak. Uh, so, but yes, that was a joke. Uh, so yes, uh, we shall now move on to a, a round of questions, I do believe. Uh, are there any questions now for the proposition side? Uh, yes, good sir. Yes, please, fine. Okay, so it's really an argument not really against free will, but your determinism argument. So you said that if you flip a coin the same with like the same velocity, for example, will always lie the same way. But if you were to look at like the brain, then you're talking about atomic level things and quantum mechanics would then play an effect and so that's been proven to be non-deterministic in nature and it's actually statistical in nature so you could really argue for hard determinism then. Thank you very much, good sir. Can I get a name for the minutes? Oh, Adam. Uh, just like free will, the idea that everything is some probability function is just an illusion. In fact, probability functions don't collapse. You just have many worlds, the many worlds repetition. Basically, in this world, those things will just happen, even if it seems like they'll be random because of quantum strangeness. 
there will be another world in which quantum strangeness has caused that to go a different way, but in that world it was also entirely determined. Thank you, Mr. Sullivan. Sorry, you know, back and forth. Uh, would anyone from the op like to respond? You don't have to. You have to the conference. No, that's fine. Uh, are there any questions now for the opposition? Mr. Gavin. <laughs> uh, so, em empiricism, a uh, philosophical theory, very popular in the 17th century within the Enlightenment through writers such as John Locke, argues that there is nothing in the mind that wasn't first in the senses, and so therefore we can only know what is there through our senses, and we have no choice of what is there. Therefore, how can we have free will if we can only know what is already there, and we have no choice over what is there? Thank you, Mr. Bradley. Who from the opposition would like to take that point? Yes, Ms. Will. Because we can choose how it influences us. We're, our argument is not, you know, uh, our argument is not, you know, we can reject everything. We are influenced by these things. But what we are saying is that at the crux of it, there is a choice. Like for the, like for example, as as I said, it we're basically arguing that the reason I took water this evening. It wasn't determined when I was five years old. We're saying we're we're predetermined by one factor, and that's the reason. We are saying that they do have an influence, but at the end of the day, you have a choice. So that's why we are. That's what we're arguing here. We're arguing that fair enough, we have senses, and there's a there's a limit, but we do have a choice. Thank you, Swell. I'll take that. Yes, okay. Um, a few things. First of all, um, your idea of determinism being that uh, a single point in time in the future was dictated by a single point in time in the past is flawed. It's a culmination, it's an aggregate uh, over time that led to that choice. It's not quite that. Also, I, I really must uh, disagree uh, with your interpretation of free will being choice. You may have many choices, however, the choice that you make in itself has been predetermined. It's not about the choices available that determines free will. Um, it is the will to choose what you have chosen because that is the choice you were always going to choose because all of your experiences up to that point, including from nature to nurture to genetic to predisposition, led you at that point in aggregate to make that decision. That's the determinism argument. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, other than that, uh, I have to agree, although empiricism is not necessarily just in the Enlightenment, it's also a uh, foundation scientific thought, right? the, the, the idea that the whole world could be perceived through the senses and that's what makes it correct. So that's the idea of testing something as, in terms of an experiment and seeing that, okay, we will test in these factors and this will be the result. This is the event causation uh, that was previously applied. Um, very quickly, we'll round up. Um, also, the, the idea that uh, somehow the mind is not uh, bound by these natural forces of which are observable to us all, I believe to be fallacious um, and magical thinking. To say that somehow the imagination transcends nature, that somehow nature can create something naturally that transcends itself, that is not nature, uh, doesn't strike me as credible. Thank you, Mr. Are there any points now for the, or abstaining points rather, uh, these can be points that are directed to both sides equally, or just a little speech on the motion if you like? I feel like the prop hasn't properly engaged with the idea that speaker of that um about about um 
quantum mechanics and randomness, you mm. keep bringing up this thing of like magical thinking. Well, um, you mentioned yourself how psychology um, is suited by biology and so the chemistry and physics, and mm. so physics has a huge scope for randomness that's been recognised <coughs> The majority of the way, like, the 60s and I'm not physicist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think you fail to take that idea seriously by talking, keep talking about magical thinking and not respecting like, the, like physics, chemistry, biology, psychology has space for that randomness. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, can I ask the prop to respond first? Who'd like to take that? Mr. Sullivan? I feel I might have given the wrong impression there. No, I do actually respect the idea that the chance can exist in the universe because quantum mechanics, as it turns out, works off chance. But it's just the the idea that the um, speaker over there mentioned is that because the brain works on such a tiny, minuscule scale of electrical signals and such, that quantum mechanics comes into play, and so therefore chance comes into play, and therefore we have free will. That's actually a pretty good argument for free will, except. If you then accept that quantum mechanics isn't actually based off of chance, yes, there's what's known as a probability function, you know, electron. See, I also don't know much about quantum physics, <laughs> so I'm going to try and explain this from a position of like almost no knowledge. But um, basically, you know, if a thing can go two ways before that thing goes two ways, it exists in both states. And then once observed, a probability function. <laughs> collapses, and then it happens. But, yeah, what he's reminding me of, some rambling guy, is that even then, whatever happens was still the result of that random chance. So, you know, sure you can say that, oh, I have free will because an electron in my brain might move one different way. You didn't control that, that just happened because of the mathematical laws of the universe. That's not a thing that you did. That's not a choice that you made. That is just a thing that happened that caused your neurons to fire in a certain way, which caused you to take a decision. It wasn't your choice, the universe did it for you. Thank you, Mr. Sullivan. Uh, would anybody from the up care respond? Mr. It's, I reject totally the ideas of Mr. Sullivan just before any question that was posed. Simply because, as it said, that our brains cause these things to happen. That doesn't mean we aren't allowed to own our own actions or our own reactions. We have to accept that up to a certain point that whenever we do things or we say things, that that's our own decision. And we have to decide up to a certain point that we can't just say, because this is what we were born as, then this is predetermined. To a certain level, we have to decide that based on the complexity of things that we have, what we're capable of doing, what we're capable of thinking, what we're capable of acknowledging. The fact that we're even standing up here talking about determinism, quantum mechanics, on a degree that isn't that we haven't observed anywhere else in the universe, that we have to say, up to a certain point, that that's us, and wasn't determined by anything except the complete randomness and unforeseeability that it can even happen at all. Thank you, Mr. Uh, I will now go back around to questions for the proposition. Are there any questions for this side? Mr. Craig. The other question for the proposition would be that um, if you believe that uh, free will doesn't exist, then you would also therefore have to reject the idea that people can be good or bad or can do good or bad things. So for example, if you look at people who like doing it to charity or help other people, then you can be like, oh, they're a good person, 
because like they by your logic they didn't choose to do these good things, they just did. And then equally people do who do evil things, so people who commit murders or Brock Turner, the rapist say, you can't say, Oh, that's a bad thing, we can't be angry at him because uh, the chain of events that led him to do that were beyond his control. So what would you sort of say in response to that? That isn't what Hughes actually said. Um, I think we should take a step back and approach this from the idea of identity because these moral systems and such uh, come from um, the idea of the individual uh, because determinism does not gel well with the idea of personal responsibility or indeed that you own your choices uh, if own ownership in that sense is even uh, relevant. Um, well, it's relevant, so in our argument it's not. Um, indeed, so basically you as a sheep, you as a human being are a system. A system that has been developed over time by chance, trial and error through evolution. We have, we have evolutionarily developed to be, for instance, hierarchical social creatures, right? Because that is effective, it was effective for our survival. Uh, those who were not that way inclined, for the most part, died, and thus they did not carry on those ideas. Uh, and indeed, those genetic um, predispositions uh, that would lead to that behaviour, for the most part, Unless, of course, you're a psychopath, but that's a part of existence. And even then, in the minority... gesture to me. <laughs> I gesture. Well, that's just your interpretation. That's just your insecurity. <laughs> anyway, uh, beyond that... Um, so, no, it doesn't gel down to that. However, just because it doesn't fit in with our preconceptions of what, who we are, what we believe, does that make it untrue? This is quandary. It's, it is uncomfortable, because we have this almost... It's security-based reaction to this because it's so grating and contrary to what we believe we are, which doesn't sit well. Um, but once again, feelings are irrelevant when it comes to the matters of truth. Uh, and the fact of the matter is that all events seem to be observable um, as a result of each other. And even in the elements of probability, for instance, um, where there is in fact chance, that does not mean that that chance had will, um, which of course is the determining factor. Uh, see, this is what happens when we get into metaphysics. <laughs> it just becomes words spaghetti and semantics. But yes, I, I would have to say that you as a human system have developed the trial and error of evolution to hold certain parts and aspects, such as empathy, for instance, as important uh, for the sake of cooperation, for survival. And these are things we developed because they worked, not necessarily because they are true. Thank you, Mr. Neil. I'd like to point out that surely uh, a psychopath would point out that you just towards him hit nearly dispose of you better to make sure that you weren't on him. Well, no, 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 please, please stop, please. Uh, let's keep moving. Um, the pub fans and the pub swore. Do they all pick your sponsor, Donovan, the alleged psychopath with his leather gloves? <laughs> I uh, chose to put my gloves on, calculate the probability of what caused that, why not? <laughs> so, I'm going to uh, begin my response with a quote from the 2012 movie, The Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> that, in fiction, there is only one story. Who am I? In Matthew Sullivan's speech, he compared why we don't have free will to why machines don't. The difference being that an equation or a machine is designed with a purpose. What separates our free will from that of what a machine is designed is that we don't have that purpose. It's something that we try and decide for our own, that we choose, and that we work on our entire lives. It's that endeavour, that unique endeavour to us, which gives us that choice. It's not the idea that we are simply a system. We are a person. And that means something more than being a system. Because what happens to us 
We react to that in our own individual ways, with our own experiences. There is a cause and effect, but it's what we choose to do based on it. And our choice in that is our own, because we're discovering ourselves, not discovering what we were built to do. Thank you, Mr. Dalvin. Uh, I'll now take questions for the opposition. Are there any questions for the opposition? Uh, Mr. Patton. I won't have to read this on my phone, because I don't memorize. Uh, how all this happens, how far a man is free, and how far a creature of circumstance, how far free will comes into play, and where fate enters the scene, all this is mystery and will remain mystery. I think it was your second speaker argued that because our choices are a product of innumerable factors, then free will must exist because we interpret those factors. But surely, if it is a product, if it is a product of those factors, then those factors have affected the choice, and therefore you do not have free will because it is affected by those factors. Thank you, Mr. Patton. Just before you respond, is everybody okay with the temperature here? Yeah. 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 Well, they just put well, this. The officer responds. Who would like to take that question? Mr. Patton. Okay. Oh my God. What's up? Uh, they have an effect on choice, certainly. That wasn't something I tried to hide from in my speech, but they don't cause the choice. The point of my speech is that to a certain extent we have to accept that an individual's interpretation and reaction to events is one that is their own. And we have to decide that based on the formation of the individual and my response to the last point, it means that we own our own choices. This is the crux of what this debate has been about. It's based on cause and effect and the randomness of our quantum metaphysics, if that's what we're talking about. That up to a certain point, I have to decide that the brain is its own individual. We are our own individuals. And based on how many things lead up to that, it's ludicrous to assume that it is those and only those which affect our choices. Thank you, Mr. Dalton. Uh, I open the prop to respond, Mr. Okay, um, yes, the ownership of the choice is not entirely relevant. Um, you still made the choice. The choice may have been determined, but you're still yours to make. You think, therefore, you are, and you may as well be, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have free will. Free will does not, is not a necessary factor for existence or indeed individuality. You still exist as an individual system and indeed a relatively unique expression of your genetic code and predisposed experiences. You are still unique in yourself, but you're still determined. You are a determined uniqueness. That is the result of everything that has happened before. So that's not the crux of the debate. That is a complete straw man in, in, in this direction. Uh, the crux of this debate is whether or not free will exists. Um, and if it does, what form does it take? At least as far as you're concerned. As far as we're concerned, we see no real evidence of free will because everything, as we have perceived and observed as part of the scientific method, which is underlined by event causation, um, everything seems to indicate that event causation also seems to be the case in the mind. Agent causation seems to be just something built on subjective emotion and feeling what we culturally and indeed as a species seem to think is reality rather than what is close, as close as we can get to an objective reality. Once again, um, I will reaffirm that just because something feels natural does not make it true. It is a result of evolution and what works. Thank you, Mr. Neil. Uh, now, I have so many points. Any just general points directed to both sides? Any little speeches of emotion? Uh, yes, that's right. Mm, I would like to ask if that, because uh, the motion is very open, so we're only talking about humans or we're, all, or we're talking about everything in general? Because if we're talking about humans, we're the only uh, species that can actually have this kind of debate. But if 
approval does not exist or does exist entirely. This is to only for our um, how do you say species? Species, yeah. <laughs> or does <laughs> exist like in the or not exist in the entire ecosystem or whatever you want to call it. Thank you very much. I'll ask the up to respond first. Would you like to take that, Mr. Miss? I feel like I'm taking off for me. Do you do want me to? I mean, discuss amongst yourselves, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I even want to talk to them. This is why I let her respond. Right. We're, we are basically saying that, you know, there is there is a degree of free will with living organisms. So basically, we are saying the. And can I please point out? Because this has been irritating me this entire time they've been speaking. You cannot. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> because they're basically saying that is it is without a doubt that your past experiences make this happen. But from the point in my speech, you cannot prove this. It is unfalsifiable as a concept in in some situations because of memory. You cannot remember everything you've ever done in your life so and basically so you can't exactly prove that and and i'm going to respond to that we're basically saying like in living organisms in fact it does have an influence but you do have a choice that's basically thank you uh that was mr Sullivan. so i think that's a really good point because it's quite useful for our uh, side of the house, I think. Because the proposition does talk a lot about how humans have this intrinsic property in them that allows them to make choices, you know, intelligence and consciousness. But, well, let's say humans are free will. Do apes have free will? What is so meaningfully different about a really intelligent ape that means they don't have free will? And if they do, what about something a little less smart, like, say, you know, a monkey? And if, not a, if a monkey has free will, why not a dog? And if a dog, then you know, a mouse and a mouse. And eventually we keep going through this chain until we get to you know, an amoeba, which you know, eventually the brain shrinks down and down and down. It's just because they have a brain. What if that brain is made up of like three neurons? There's things that have tiny, tiny brains. You're basically just made up of a couple of nerves. So eventually, we have to reach the point where we have to say, oh, well, this one's different because it has one more neuron, so it gets free will now, I guess. That's not a reasonable thing to say. The other way to take this is that, yes, sure, every animal doesn't have free will, clearly. You know, an ant doesn't have free will, it just makes, makes choices according to needs that it has. And it has evolved to take those choices because its ancestors, you know, well, the things that aren't its ancestors died because they didn't meet those needs because they weren't programmed that way and they didn't make the right choices. So eventually you go up and up and up and you get, you know, eventually, to us, we have all this intelligence and consciousness, not because some mystical force granted it to us, but because it's a really useful thing to achieve our needs. It's not that we make choices, it's that we are programmed to detect certain stimuli and have a certain response to that stimuli in order to meet certain needs. We are an input-output machine, just like computers. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Sullivan. <laughs> uh, 
I will take one more round of questions, but don't feel the need just to put your hand in the air because you see nobody else doing it. If there are no more questions, that's perfectly fine. So, one final question for the prop. Uh, I will take you, good sir. So, if everything that we do is determined, can this be measured? Can that mean that in the future, could we? For example, have a sum that measures what we would do and could we predict human behaviour. Thanks, sir. Can I just get a certain for the next one? Sure, sure. He's gone, but then the last one. Prop. I'll give you. Mr. Sullivan. Yes. There is a concept in philosophy, yeah, philosophy known as Laplace's demon. The idea being you could have this being which has perfect knowledge of everything that is currently happening and everything that has happened. It doesn't have any knowledge of the future except that what it can predict from all previous events. If you have such a thing, which is perfect knowledge of every prior event and is so intelligent that it can link all these events together, yes, it could develop some sum which could perfectly predict anything, including human behavior, and yes, there may come a day, eons in the future, where humans will reach such a level we will have enough information that we can perfectly predict what another human will do. So I'm going to draw on another piece of superhero literature. That's me. The 2014 movie. Oh. Captain America the Winter Soldier. <laughs> the conclusion of that was that the supervillain had formed an algorithm that decides who's going to commit crimes and that they can get then shoot those people. I'm going to draw attention to the proposition that this was an algorithm proposed by a Nazi death cult. <laughs> so, the idea that we... The idea that we can quantify human action based solely on prior actions is ludicrous. We have to accept to a certain degree, as has been the point of my speech, that people's choices are their own. And we can't calculate how someone is going to react to things specifically as a person, as an individual, based on causes and effects up until that point. And that there's a certain amount of randomness that is entirely determined by themselves and their own thoughts, feelings, that is not determined by the ideas that have been put forward by the proposition. I don't want that. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Uh, is there a final question for the opposition? Uh, I'll take you, good sir. Yeah, so it was only just briefly on uh, randomness. Randomness keeps being brought up, but as far as I'm aware, randomness doesn't necessarily equate to free will. Just because a decision or an action taken is based on completely random uh, conditions doesn't necessarily mean, surely, that that is then a free action taken by the individual. Thanks, sir. Uh, I'll have to respond first. Okay. Um, the point where I bring up randomness, and it was the point in the beginning of my speech where I talked about Big Shaq for a wee bit, um, was that there are so many and innumerable contributing factors to what people do and what people think that we can't say that that is the cause to it. We are reacting and interpreting so many different things that that is not the cause of what we do. It's, and it's ludicrous to say that we could try and calculate that because we can't. And to a certain degree, we can see, even based on evidence, what people have been capable of doing, regardless of their upbringing or mental state, the decisions and the choices people are capable of making, that the self 
is a concept we need to be aware of, and that is not one that we can decide as being fully predetermined. Thank you, Mr. Dalton. Uh, Prop, would you like to respond? Don't have to. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I assumed yeah. you won't. No, it's fine. You, you pretty much got it in the head. Yeah. So basically, you're saying that uh, because we cannot do, make these predictions, and indeed we can't, because we're not on a seat uh, beings that know all in the present, know all in the past, um, that no, we, we can't do that currently, and indeed it would be foolish, at least in terms of what you presented in terms of the Winter Soldier episodes. <laughs> yeah, we don't have nearly enough me- uh, information in terms of machine learning for an algorithm or some computational solution to be able to predict crime. Uh, at least not currently. However, that does not uh, in any way disprove the concept. Basically you're saying that because it's so complex and so beyond our means, that it is beyond any means and indeed completely impossible within theory. Um, that's simply not the case. Assuming, of course, as Jeremy said, and my little haggle, assuming determinism is true, which is kind of our deal, you know, that's kind of what we're here for. Um, but yes, um, I would have to disagree with um, what you said there. Um, other than that, um, it just seems to come down to uh, it's too complex, therefore it must be free will. I think that's nonsense. There are many complex things that lead up uh, to any event. That doesn't necessarily mean that that event was free will, probability or no. Thank you, Sir Neil. Questions and abstain. Point any chance of software you'd like to offer the final one. Not that you'd spell, but oh, if, if you can, if, if you don't have to, if you can't think of anything that's final, call somebody else. But Say I thought you might like, thought you might like the other uh, question. So abstaining something on both sides can. So just as a summary. Of and just yeah, something maybe they can both calm down. Something we should consider. I think. Oh God, that does a lot. But Hugh makes an interesting point about what you want out of free will. Um, he sort of said, I think, he um, <laughs> um, sort of says, if you can say, well, we, we, we can't predict what's going to happen, like we can't predict human behaviour with 100% accuracy, um, don't know the cause of process, you get involved with decision making, and we feel that like we can take a certain amount of agency over our decisions, what more do you want out of free will? What, do you want what it like? I think it often comes down to the definition of free will here, what you want yeah, out of it, what that means, and things comes across, across the issue there. But Thank you very much. So, uh, I'll ask the which side do I ask to respond first? I'll ask Andrew to me point the up. I'll ask the prop to respond first. Who would like to do my final points? Basically, uh, just make sure that the question was so it's basically saying, what do we want of free will, and that in itself is the definition of free will, correct? Yeah, like what, what, yeah, what more do you want out of it other than, yeah, like, Mr. Neil, I'm completely ambivalent. Um, <laughs> I'm honest with you. Um, I neither care for uh, nor not care for um, free will uh, as, a, as a concept, to be honest. It's just um, not something that I want to be true or don't want to be true. It is something that could be, may not be, but we have seen through our observations that based on the evidence, it is not. Um, that, that is basically why we would be pushing forward hard determinism over, say, libertarian. Um, which I'm not even sure that is what you're going for anymore. I think it's some sort of mix between the two. Maybe makes no sense. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's just 
no definition of free will there whatsoever, except for choice, which I've already said is wrong and proven why. Um, <laughs> so other so than that, um, I'm, I'm completely ambivalent to it. I don't really want anything from free will. I just don't see it being the case, based on the evidence of which we have observed, um, which is the only thing that we as humans and limited creatures can base our decisions. So, honestly, and that, of course, is the context of this debate. Honestly, uh, we are not omniscient, omnipotent beings that are saying, ah, indeed, this is the way, this is not the way. Speak um, for yourself. <laughs> you broke broken gavel. Um, I fixed it too. <laughs> he created, he destroyed. Um, you must be. Um, to wrap up, um, we simply haven't observed it within our limited human capacity, and that's all we can speak for. Thank you, Spinel. And finally, to close the this evening, who would like to respond from the opposition? As well, so so basically, what you're saying is that within within your your um, your limits, you you basically you basically proved that free will doesn't exist. But here's the thing: you can't prove it. <laughs> you can't prove it. But that's the thing, it's immeasurable. You can't prove it or disprove it. <laughs> I believe Mr. Ryan wants to ask for a point of clarification, which he's technically allowed to do. Ms. Well, would you like to accept a point of clarification for Mr. I'm Mayor? very tempted to say no, but I, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to. I kind of She's a benevolent speaker. Uh, 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 yes, indeed. Uh, it wasn't about saying that we proved it does not exist. It's quite the opposite. We've seen no evidence that it exists. Therefore, we have no obligation to take it. Therefore, our terminism is how we must Can I please? Yeah, yeah. Can you clarification? So, yeah, there's. Yes, you can respond. Yes. Then again, you haven't proven it does. Never ran. But but then you you can prove that. It doesn't exist, and you can't prove that it does exist. That's the thing, and that's and that's basically where it is because of this idea of unfortunately that I've addressed twice now, and that's basically it. Thank you, Sir, and that shall conclude the bit for this evening. So uh, I'll now share a few final things. If you'd like your Arsenal to get your membership cards, that would be very much appreciated before we reach the vote. So just to recap, the Christmas dinner is in a few days' time. Get your money to me if you haven't already. The uh, dress code is simply casual, wear your best ugly jumper. Uh, next week, after the debate, we will be going down to the Christmas market to the Lavery's tent, so dress warm and all that. Uh, and also, I hope to see you all at the debate, at the mini debates next week. It's going to be good fun, it's going to be a lot more casual, a lot more laid back, and hopefully by that time. The deadline hell shall have passed, and we shall all be a much higher spirits. So, I believe we can now move to a vote. Yes, it looks about right. So, the motion this evening was This House believes free will does not exist. This is a vote on speaker ability. This is not what you personally believe as of right now, it's upon which side you believe spoke better. So, all those who believe that the proposition spoke better this evening, please raise your hands on your membership cards and say, Aye! Aye. Keep them up so I can count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, Mr. Secretary. I'd go with eleven. Eleven, okay. If it comes down to like a, uh, what is it, a photo finish, then we'll do a recap. But uh, all those 
We believe that the opposition spoke better this evening. Please raise your hands and say nay. nay. One, two, three, four, five, six, Mr. Secretary. Yes. And all those who believe that each side spoke equally well or equally terribly or wish to uh, express no opinion on the matter whatsoever, please raise your hand and say loud, say proud, say meh. Meh. One, two, three, four, five, Mr. Secretary. Yes. Mr. Secretary, can you please read back the vote to me? Mr. President, that was 11 votes for the proposition, 6 votes for the opposition, and 5%. The opposition, the proposition has it, the proposition has it! Congratulations, the time is now 10 minutes. No. In the spirit of a big Shaq reference, I knew that you should take off his jacket. <laughs> I, I get yeah, that reference, yes. I agree with it. Remember your jacket, Mr. Calvin. Man is not hot. Indeed. Hey, is he doing? No, is he leaving? What are you doing? Are you taking your jacket off? I think the time is ten past nine. I'd be here by the time meeting. Adjourn!